Hello there, you're listening to the Watson's Daily Podcast with me, Peter Watson, on Thursday, the 25th of February. Today, I'll be chatting about a few stories with Imogen Drummond and Duncan Balcon, who are both Watson's Daily Ambassadors. Okay then, so um, welcome to the listeners today. This is the first time... um, that we are having actually three people on at the same time. Um, and I think we're going to loosely call it the three amigos format. Um, so in terms of, uh, in terms of today's news, um, I thought we'd, um, if we could kick off with Imogen um, first, first of all, to say what you found most interesting in today's Watson's daily. Yeah, sure. So I thought the story about um, Hyundai motor was really interesting. So, uh, Hyundai is embarking on the world's most expensive electric vehicle recall following a string of electrical fires in its vehicles. Um, it's planning to recall almost almost 82,000 batteries, the majority of which are in its best-selling model, the Kona. Um, and this is expected to cost about $900 million. So pretty pricey recall. Um, this is actually the second recall for this particular model. Um, after several caught fire due to battery problems back in October. Um, mm-hmm. And it said that Hyundai said they would recall the Kona firstly to upgrade the battery management software. Yeah. However, this recall comes after news of fires, even after the software has been upgraded. So all mm. in all, it's just not going particularly well for this model. Right. Um, now, we know that there have been some recalls of electric vehicles recently. Um, Tesla recalled... I think it was like 158,000 or something vehicles um, after there were malfunctions for on its touchscreen. But this is obviously for a different reason. So the lithium ion batteries. Um, and it's also not the first time that there's been a problem like this in electric vehicles. Mm-hmm. So General Motor, Ford, BMW have also all made recalls based on the fire risk in these lithium ion batteries. Um, so not great news for the EV industry at the moment. So do you think it will maybe deter people from kind of making the leap and purchasing electric vehicles? Well, I mean, I, I, I think that it's because this is a battery problem um, and it's Hyundai at the moment. Um, I would have thought that this is going to affect Hyundai more than it will affect others. I mean, I think that if everyone had done, you know, that if everyone had been, yeah, if it all happened at the same time and if there'd been um, lots of recalls for batteries at the same time, maybe it might make people feel a bit, you know, like a, a bit reticent about it. But I don't know. I think for this, for at the moment, this is a big recall for them. Um, and it's, it is serious, but I do think that this is clearly there is clearly a problem in the current technology of the you know lithium ion battery technology because it does seem to be inherently unstable or certainly less stable than the um solid state battery equivalent um and just you know with regards to solid state um solid the problem with solid state is is that although it's more stable and doesn't catch fire um, the difficulty has been to make it commercially viable in terms of cost. 
Um, but you know, there've been lots of instances which uh, where you know products that have inv- have have contained lithium ion batteries have combusted. Mm. So we've had. Um, you know, like the uh, uh, the I was going to say the Nissan, the the Galaxy, uh, the the um, Samsung Galaxy Note or something. I think it was a few years ago, um, which which caught fire so many times um, that it was actually banned um, on a number of uh, airlines. Um, and then we had uh, years before that, we had um, Sony with their spontaneously combusting um, laptop uh, uh, batteries again on, on a plane um, so <clears throat> all these I mean, it just seems that there there it, there is this this um, uh, you know for all the developments that we've had over the years there appears to be uh, still some shortfall within the actual technology mm-hmm. but I don't know what, what, what do you what, what do you think yeah I mean I, I, I can jump in on this as well I think the pattern you've kind of noticed there with, with the Sony and with, with the Galaxy as well is if both of those were models that were meant to take battery life to a new to a new level weren't they and I think it's mm. like kind of ongoing pressure every time manufacturers try and increase battery life they, mm. they become more unstable um, coming mm. back to what Imogen said at the end of her thing about whether whether we think this will kind of dissuade people from switching to electric vehicles, I mean, mm. I'm inclined to say it probably will a little bit because obviously you've got Tesla and Hyundai who are two of the two of the biggest manufacturers in that kind of area, mm. and you've got a choice of batteries that catch fire or touchscreens that fail, and the touchscreen controls all the safety elements of the car. And mm. neither of those are things that sound particularly good to a potential buyer, are they? So mm. I, I'm inclined I'm inclined to say yeah, it might it might. Even though fractionally dissuade people from switching to electric vehicles a bit until we're sure that everything about them is safe. Mm. Well, I think, sorry, Duncan, you can go. Yeah, no, go for it. Well, I think as well, there are quite a few barriers um, to people purchasing an electric vehicle in the first place, you know. So you've got range anxiety because there's not necessarily the charging infrastructure available for people mm. to know that their electric vehicle is going to make it all the way to their like destination. You've got the mm. price. And then if you add the concern that the, that your car might kind of spontaneously combust, you know, <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't <clears throat> bode well for, for people kind of making the leap. No, no. Well, it might add to the excitement, perhaps, you know, you know, will I get to my destination? Will I get stranded? Um, will I get incinerated? <laughs> <laughs> will my airbags fail? When that will happen? <laughs> <laughs> it could have happened at once. yeah i mean who knows i mean that just adds you know potentially um adds adds an extra dimension to potentially uh, otherwise um a fairly mundane um journey perhaps certainly Uh, new extreme sport yeah (laughs) Yeah, well i guess we are all looking for a bit of excitement in all these lockdown there we go so Sounds Imogen, sounds like you you're in the market for a Hyundai. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so yeah, that sounds good. And also thought it's probably better not to call, um, you know, not to give the car a name after a volcanic island. Um, I I would suggest. Yes. Um, but um, but you know. Uh, but anyway, uh, so there you go. So I mean, uh, um, do any any more to add on that at all before we move on to the next? Um. No? Well, I thought it was quite interesting that you were talking about um, LG Chem in a recent podcast, um, which is the world's largest electric vehicle battery producer um, Mm -hmm. and is the battery maker for Hyundai. And I know that there's Mm. some tension kind of between the battery producers and the electric vehicle makers over who should be held Mm. responsible for this. Um, Mm. 
so do you have any thoughts on that and whether it might um well i mean i suppose it's a bit of a classic finger pointing exercise isn't it because obviously the battery makers are going well they're going well like you know our technology is absolutely bulletproof no problem here it's clearly your dodgy engineers um that um you know that are making it fail Mm -hmm. um and then obviously the cars the car side you know the hyundai are going to go well no it's obviously you you lot are you know you lot are stupid and um (laughs) you you can't make batteries um properly so don't blame us you know and the problem is of course you do have to actually come to a conclusion as to who who is actually at fault mm-hmm. here but in the meantime you know you've got to get you've got to sort these these things out i don't know what they need to do you know is it a case of um changing electrodes slightly or what i, I don't know what it is they have to do but um, do you think it would prompt lg chem to kind of look further into you know like you were saying the solid state batteries and there's like sodium ion batteries so do you think they might be persuaded to investigate alternatives a little bit more you would have thought so you would have thought so because um you know like i said i mean i i I remain relatively surprised that we've still got this same technology that's been around for a long time now um and it's it's a better version of what we used to have but there don't seem to be alternatives Mm. you know like really properly viable alternatives Mm. Um, I mean, okay, there are alternatives in cars in terms of, um, you know, like hydrogen, you know, that sort of thing. But um, but in terms of general um, rechargeable batteries, it just seems that we've got a better version of what we've had before. But yes, I mean, I, you would have thought that they that they are going to put more money into it. But before that happens, though, I suppose they need to just get this right because this is what's happening now and they you know they they have to sell um these these cars so they just need to get this going i i would have mm. thought and then after that they can potentially put more effort into into the other stuff but it's 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 going to be difficult isn't it it is going to be difficult yeah. so you know. yeah it, it could be good as well there's a couple of companies we were talking about the other day peter um moving mm. car this sort of production into the uk and I'm, I might mm-hmm. get the name wrong. Was it British Vault? The yeah, that's factory? right. Yeah, it could yeah. be good for yeah. them because it wouldn't be too hard to kind of put an advertising campaign about. Yeah, what we're kind of doing it mm. in the kind of British way, which is it's reliable. It's not going to break. It's not going to burn, burn <laughs> you alive. <laughs> you <know? laughs> the, 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 really? Do you know what I mean? The, 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 you can see them spinning that if, if that tragic goes ahead. Uh... This, this is a, this is a safer way of doing it. <laughs> I feel like it's, it's, it's quite a low bar, you know. Like buy a car, <laughs> they won't explode. <laughs> <laughs> I must say, I uh, sorry, I'm laughing there, but I I had years ago, I had a Honda, I had a Honda, right, and it was it was not, you know, it was a nice one, and and um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it was put together in in uh, where was it? Is it uh, Slough, isn't it? I think yeah. Slough, and um, and literally, it was like almost to the day that 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 the uh, um. Uh, the the uh, what was it the guarantee came off like after two years <laughs> it blew up. just stuff just started going oh, wrong no. and it was just and I thought you know what I'm never going to blooming get anything made in this country again <laughs> uh, for, for the, you know that, that that involves that you know like cars I thought you know got me up um, you know that's, but but anyway um, so sorry sorry about that but so I did bring that up I actually funnily enough subsequently 
I took a group of 20 investors to to go to that factory because I, I was working as a stockbroker at the time. And I did bring it up with the engine. <laughs> and it was, so it was quite funny. But um, yeah, they, they didn't react well to that. But, uh, but anyway, uh, let's, let's, let's move on to the next, uh, the next thing. Um, so, Duncan, what was your? Um, that's a really, really uh, smooth segue, wasn't yeah. it? Um, so, um, so, Duncan, what do you think is your um, favourite story of well, today? I'm going to try and recover some of my dignity now after that horrendous uh, attempt at an advertising <laughs> slogan. Uh, I'll talk about I'll talk about IKEA. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, for those that don't know, IKEA are kind of pushing towards um, having some city centre stores. So they're looking at kind of the big, the bigger kind of open spaces that have been left by your department stores and your likes of Debenhams and people like that and, and moving into those. And I think it's really interesting because they are probably one of the few retailers that financially can afford to take over those sort of spaces, but also mm-hmm. kind of logistically could take over something like a department store without having to sublet any of it. Um, mm. Which is obviously it's good news for the landlords because they're getting one tenant that can take up the whole building, mm-hmm. um, and it's kind of good news for you know, people like your councils because you'd imagine having someone like IKEA on the high street, it's a massively increased footfall. Mm. Mm. But I also think this is quite interesting because there's another thing they've well, been talking about quite a bit recently, which is their buyback scheme, um, which is mm-hmm. the scheme where if people have invested in a load of office furniture and um, to work from home and then get called back into the office they can take it back and, and sell it back to Ikea at what I'd imagine is a fairly reduced price, but at least get something back for it. Um, mm. And um, I think it's really interesting that they're looking at moving into these kind of these centre locations and looking at taking on kind of essentially their own products back. And it would be really interesting to see if there's any kind of relationship between those, whether they're going to start using these kind of centre locations if they're smaller to, to sell kind of their second-hand stuff. Um, but also, like I said, really interesting because having an IKEA on the high street, particularly with the other kind of ideas we've been talking about recently about go-karting centres and the high streets and things, it's mm. a really positive move for me towards getting much higher footfall back on our high streets. Mm. So, yeah, mm. I'll, I'll open it up to, to, to you two for, for some comment, I guess. Go um. uh. Go, go, go ahead. Go, on, go on, this, this is this is the difficulty with the with the three person yeah. format, but it's good though. Go, go on. Well, I was. I mean, it would definitely be a different high street experience, you know, compared to last year. Well, two years ago, maybe. You know, you'd walk down the street and you'd pop into Topshop, maybe H and M, River Island, and now you'll you'll walk down the high street and you know pop into Gravity for a little bounce around and you know go karting and then and then you'll go to ikea to get a house plant you know Im- imogen imogen Im- going to the town center with you sounds like a lot of fun <laughs> bit of a bounce around uh, the meatballs so, yeah, yeah. Um, obviously you want the meatballs after 100%. after gravity don't you yeah before, but so. i was i was actually just thinking about this and the one issue that i could that i think might be a problem would be the whole parking thing because with ikea right at the moment Mm. it's out of town they've got massive parking lots they've got this massive store and you go in with your trolley Mm. and you come out with however much flat pack furniture to pack away into your car Mm. but if you're Mm. if you're in the town center there's not there's not that parking space right so how Mm. you know would you take your kind of buyback furniture on the bus to to then take back mm, to IKEA, mm. and then how do you transport the desk that you switch it for back? Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, just... I mean, I see, I see what you mean. I suppose, I mean, the, interestingly, I would have thought that the flat pack nature of it means that it is a bit more transportable. Yeah. I mean, of you know, because you can 
you can make it back to flat. But you know, it's not like if you, I don't know, bought a bought a, a very expensive desk or something. You know, made made of made of walnuts <laughs> or something, um, and tried to sort of get on the bus with that. Uh, that you can't take it apart, whereas obviously their stuff does come apart. So, I think that that's quite interesting in that that you can you can do that, um, which and actually that would be something that others can't mm. do. And I and so I mean it's quite good, but that is a very good point though in terms of um, the the delivery. But then again, I don't know about taking it in might be difficult, but I suppose they would do presumably doing delivery um because yeah. that's the thing i don't think they were particularly doing that before not so much because you the idea was you go there in your car and you just open the boot and just shove a load yeah. of stuff in um but um but you know maybe delivery will obviously make up more of a uh, be more of a thing with ikea than it has been traditionally yeah. in the past I, or maybe I they'll just be stocking them slightly differently you know maybe they'll maybe mm. they'll be stocking their kind of central stores with more home decor uh mm, mm. cushions uh you know whatever else you find in ikea i've not been for a That's while <laughs> mm. Mm. but i suppose oh, the other thing is though isn't it i suppose is, is that actually because of the city center um locations the fact that they will be a lot smaller than the big box retailers you see out of you know they have out of town so presumably it will be more like a you know, like a, a more conventional shop in the sense that you'll see the stuff that they have and you order it there and they mm. deliver it to you, you know. So maybe that sort of thing. But I think that the key, though, with this is that with, with IKEA, it's I think it's a really interesting company that has um, really looked at the success. It's taken the success of what it's done for the last however many decades and and come to the very ballsy conclusion that they need to change completely and that they've also they've experimented with different things and different formats and really tried to listen um to what the consumer actually mm. wants so i think that it's really it's you know it's a it's really um it's really good and i think that this this is a um a retailer that hopefully i would have thought would survive you know quite long in, uh, long into the future because it is willing to um to change its model and i think that mo- a lot of retailers don't they they have a they have a formula they stick to the formula i mean let i mean primark's a good example isn't it i mean so primark has has decided you know we are definitely going to stay with physical stores we are not going to go online you know and i think to be honest, if if lockdown had gone on, you know, for another six months or a year, you would have thought that um, they that people would be, be calling for the head of the um, chief yeah. exec um, of that part of the you know of, of the business. Um, so you know they are not revisiting, but they are an example, I think, of of of, of an operator on the high street who who should um, arguably do do that. I mean, I know there's a lot of advantages of them sticking with what they've got but still um i i think that um it's really good to see a big company willing to to really change in order to adapt to future uh to uh, future mm. behavior could be interesting to see what it does for prices within ikea as well because <clears throat> pardon me mm. you would expect that per square foot um rental in on a high street location is probably more than their traditional 
out on the industrial part mm. of things. So it'd be interesting to see if that has any sort of effect on the on their prices as well in terms of consumers. Yeah. I mean they'd be they'd be in the driving seat at the moment with regard to um uh yeah, you know, and, and actually um, you know, if they move to that model of um, you know, that everyone's talking about at the moment, which is going rather than a flat rate to going to a the yeah the yeah so well yeah you know turnover yeah. or profit share or whatever actually could do quite well i mean you know councils and things could do quite well mm. out of it because like i say i think actually having an ikea in the town center would be really good be very good for footfall um and um you know and obviously their stuff isn't you know it's not it's not cheap cheap it's not like you're going in and and, and buying you know buying novelty gifts um, or something like that. They, you know, what what you buy in IKEA is is quite a, a relatively big ticket mm. item for for the high street. Mm. I would suggest. So actually, by moving to that model, that that you know that might be they might do quite well. So not only would they get have to pay you know very low rent anyway in the first place, probably because that but because it's a it's a renters market at the moment, um, but. You know, they might actually end up. Everyone might do quite well out of it if they if they move to a turnover stroke profit type. Um, yeah, model. definitely. Some really interesting thoughts there. Now we're going to seamlessly segue between people rushing to the high streets and people escaping to faraway lands. <laughs> Over to you, Peter. Oh, very good. Right. Okay. Yeah. So that's my that's the story I really like um, today. Um, so this is all about um, this is all about virtual reality. Um, and there, there was a very interesting article um, in, in today that, that you know that I talked about in um, in, in Watson's Daily, which talks about um, virtual the, the trend um, for virtual holidays. So um, I think that this is something. So apparently, uh, leading into the the pandemic actually virtual holidays were booming in popularity but of course under lockdown people have wanted to escape uh, the their four walls um and as a result um companies uh including uh virtual trips and another one called Vir- travel world vr um you know, they have actually been benefiting from people wanting to escape, but obviously being confined to home. And um, I think I, you know, for me, I do think that virtual reality has been one of those themes that has been talked about as the next big thing many, many times. And it just never quite seems to come off because I think that the perception has been in the past that virtual reality is a gaming thing. And it just hasn't taken off massively. I mean, it's done okay. And I think that Sony has done all right from it, for instance. Um, but, you know, I think they're, they are trying to do, do more with it. Um, but I think that, for me, a lot of the, the benefits of uh, virtual reality or the attractions of virtual reality lie in lots of other things. And, I mean, I think one of the best things, for instance, for virtual reality is is training the opportunities for training so you know you have surgeons who will who can do operations many many times you know practice on on you know using these uh, using virtual reality so that they can get stuff right when they do it for real 
Um, but also, I mean, Duncan, you're you're in you're in the fire service, and you were saying earlier on about how um, you know how that how it's used in in your industry. Yeah, yeah. So I don't want to scare all the listeners and make them think that firefighters just practice on video games. We don't. We, we don't. <laughs> yeah. uh, yeah. As an operational yeah, level, yeah. All, of, all of our hands-on staff do that. Do like I said earlier, do, do the hands-on practice and with with real fires and with real car crashes and stuff. Um, but at um, an instant command level, um, obviously there's some scenarios we just don't come across and can't train for but a lot of our instant command training happens in a in a virtual reality setup so we have a couple of rooms at our training center one that's made up like the front of a fire engine so you can do the kind of drive to an incident uh, and one that's set up like an instant ground and the team can put pretty much anything on there so you can, your, your house fires your factory fires a big a grass fire if they wanted to and um, using a controller and um, the person that's that's being assessed essentially on that scenario can can move around it and interact with it like it was a, a real fire so it's a fantastic bit of kit and like i said it, it allows us mm. to train for scenarios you'd never be able to set up on a as a training instant for real and for ones that obviously yeah. it's costly to set up for as well it's, it's a fantastic bit of training kit yeah no it is brilliant and like i say so many uses and i think that this will be fantastic i mean you know um I, I love this idea of like, you know, let's say you are an old folks home or maybe let's say you're, you're paralyzed uh, for some reason. You know, the, the, the amazing experiences that you could have um, via virtual reality, you know, swimming with dolphins or going to places that you'd never, you know, you could never mm. normally go to. I think that this is just one of those things that would really is is a really positive thing um you know without getting too mushy about things we, you know is a positive thing for humanity but i but also it will have um commercial implications as well you know so presumably you will have um better uh, uh sales you know improved sales of virtual reality headsets and things um and all of that will drive future success because I think one of the things that's held virtual reality back is the size mm. of the headsets. You know, they're still pretty chunky. Uh, they do make you sweat. Um, and I think that, you know, if they, if they can come down uh, in size, et cetera, then, then that's brilliant. And, and in order to do that, more people need to buy them, which means more sales, which means more gets plowed back into it because the companies can then, go actually yes this is worth doing um and th those sizes will come down and the the opportunities mm. will broaden yeah, as well i do think it's fantastic for a like accessibility point of view you know like you were saying if mm. if you don't have the kind of um physical ability to travel or if you yeah. know mobility wise um or if you're just yeah. scared of flying it's another thing, isn't it? I mean, you know. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, it just. Uh... Yeah. It, so, it can have so, some yeah. really positive uh, implications for some of these kind of <clears throat> sites of like, I would say, outstanding natural beauty or what have you. Because I know a few years ago I went to to Peru and went to Machu Picchu, and at the time they were talking about having to stop tourists going there because of the the detrimental effect on the site itself. Yeah. So uh, it could be that thing where yeah. actually some of these places become essentially too damaged for us to keep going around but there could be a virtual tour of them and it, mm. it, it might help protect some of these places as well that's a very good point actually yeah because i suppose you could pay to do that and then that money goes to that place to try to you know reverse the damage mm. or, or something maybe um you know and maybe presumably um floods floods defenses in venice yeah. and things like that um 
So yeah, no, but but anyway, so it's all very exciting, all good, all good stuff. Um, so anyway, so I think that's probably um, uh, all we've got time for at the moment. Um, just to say about this evening, so Thursday is always a, always a big day for Watson's Daily. So this evening we've got the uh, Instagram Live at five, um, which is thirty minutes. Um, where I pick out a few of the big uh, developments this week and give you a bit of an insight uh, and then open it up to Q&A. Uh, and then from 5.30 to 6.30, which is for paying subscribers, where I will talk in much more detail about what's been going on in the week. And then we will have a lot more time for, um, you know, uh, for Q&A, because obviously that is an hour long as opposed to the Instagram, which is 30 minutes long. Um, and then there was something else that I um, wanted to quickly say as well. Some of you may have noticed that there is intro, intro music um, at, the, at the beginning of, of the podcast. Um, so Imogen, did you want to say? Yeah, so our new and exciting intro music was done by Sarah Lydia, um, who is an up and coming young musical producer Um she does absolutely fantastic stuff. You can find her on Spotify, on YouTube, um, under the handle, yeah, Sarah Lydia. So go and check out some of her stuff because it's all very groovy, as you could probably hear from the intro music. Yeah, honestly, I love the new intro music. It's fantastic. Yeah. It's all good. I, I, yeah, I'm a big, big fan, big fan. So I hope all the listeners are as well because um, – you know, we really do appreciate your support. Um, thank you very much indeed for listening. Please continue to support us, recommend us and, you know, say nice things about us generally because we're, we're nice people and we're trying <laughs> to do something good here. Uh, so uh, so anyway, thank you very much indeed for your time. And we'll Thanks, see everyone. you again tomorrow. Thanks a lot. Bye.